Greetings, everyone. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons, and it's Tuesday, November the 14th, and this is Narrative Wars. Well, beginning this week, we're going to be dropping two episodes weekly, one on Tuesdays and one on Thursdays. And this will give us the flexibility to cover hot stories that surface midweek. In today's episode, we turn to Washington, D.C., where the question is being asked, can Congress act before November the 17th to avoid government shutdown? We also take a look at the elections that occurred recently on November the 7th around the country in a few states, and we ask if it's time for new leadership at the RNC. Finally, we look at the increasing criticism regarding the Hamas-Israel war and hear Prime Minister Netanyahu's response. These stories and the bigger picture on today's episode of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars, with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired, so tired. Well, at Narrative Wars, we're constantly having hundreds of new listeners check out our program every month, and we want to thank you for checking us out. Now, some of you have been part of our initial launch, which occurred earlier this year, and you are really our base of listeners. You're getting familiar with our program and our formatting. Well, last week, I suppose, we threw a monkey wrench at you, and we stretched our wings. We tried some something different uh, for the Narrative Wars audience. Uh, We ventured into satire, a long and familiar literary device aimed at poking fun at public figures, politicians, popular culture, and more. Well, last week's press release from the American Ornithological Association leadership regarding the urgent injustice that must be addressed, namely that birds need our help. Uh, We were told that birds have been the target of racism and that there's a conversation taking place and that it needs to be righted uh, because, after all, birds have been named after human beings Whatever your feelings regarding this grave feathered fiasco, the material was too tantalizing to not satirize last week. And so we did. Well, satire, of course, is lost when one must explain what it is, especially when it's happening. Well, for this reason, in last week's November 7th edition of this program, we chose to go over the top in our brief satirical expose. Warning, in the future, we may choose to tread upon additional tumultuous topics by once again treading into the satirical sphere. Well, taking up our first piece today, let's change gears. And uh, we're talking about uh, Mike Johnson, and he is the new Speaker of the House of Representative, uh, newly put in because, of course, as you remember, the former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, 
was ousted by a courageous group of eight people led by Matt Gates, and I call that group the Courageous Eight. They voted to vacate the chair, and well, Kevin McCarthy is out after three weeks of indecision. Basically, we now have Speaker Mike Johnson, and I think he's going to be an excellent choice. Uh, in past episodes, we talked about how that three weeks of uh, indecision in the House didn't really need to be three weeks, but it was stretched out because Kevin uh, McCarthy was behind Behind the scenes, he was doing everything he could to stretch it out and to torpedo the effort to uh, put forth a name of a new Speaker of the House who would be successfully installed. So all of that was covered a few weeks ago. Uh, we had an interview with Nancy Mace uh, talking about that. She was one of the courageous eight. If you didn't hear that, uh, please go back and check out that material. But now going forward, we've got Speaker Mike Johnson and he's trying to, ahead of this uh, deadline, which is coming uh, this week on the 17th uh, November, it's coming right around the corner. And so let's take a listen to this piece. Uh, it has to do with Mike Johnson. And he's going to talk about what he's proposing, which is a sort of tiered CR, which uh, CR is uh, stands for Continuing Resolution. And it's sort of a stopgap way to continue to fund the government without actually having a formal budget in place. Now, before we listen to this piece, there's one final piece of important information that we need to know. Now, everybody in Congress knows this. The public's not aware of it. And certainly the lamestream media doesn't want the public to know about it. But there's a act uh, called the 1974 Budget Act. Act means it's a law that was passed by Congress. It was signed by Nixon uh, back in 74. And uh, you can look it up, but the, uh, the nuts and bolts of it is that Congress is supposed to pass 12 individual funding bills in order to fund the U.S. government. Now, the fiscal year starts uh, October 1st for the federal government, and so uh, these uh, bills need to be rolled out, and there are certain deadlines. I won't go through all of those deadlines, but the bills are supposed to be uh, passed. Uh, they're supposed to be completed by June the 30th. They go over to the Senate. The Senate works on them, and then the Senate and the House uh, come up with their compromise, and again, it's supposed to be passed prior to October 1st. It hasn't been passed for years, and the problem with the 1974 Budget Act is that it's got no teeth. If, if you don't follow it, uh, there are no penalties in place, so they just basically don't follow it. Uh, so that is in the background. They're supposed to pass a budget, prior to October 1st. And of course, it wasn't done under Kevin McCarthy. And that's another reason why McCarthy is out and Mike Johnson uh, is in and he's up to bat. Let's listen to Speaker Mike Johnson here in this piece. It's a minute seven in length. Uh, this was ABC News, November the 11th, 2023. Uh, let's listen to uh, Mike Johnson responding to criticism regarding meeting the deadline prior to Friday, November the 17th. Here at home, the clock is ticking on efforts to avoid a government shutdown this week. This morning, the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, is out with a plan, but can he get his own party to go along? ABC's M. Wynn is on Capitol Hill now to break it all down. Good morning, M. 
Good morning, Gio. Yeah, House Speaker Mike Johnson unveiled a rather unusual stopgap plan to avert a potential government shutdown come this upcoming Friday. This morning, we're learning more about a two-step plan by House Republicans to keep the government open as yet another shutdown deadline looms. House Speaker Mike Johnson introducing a laddered continuing resolution that would stagger deadlines for different federal services. The first part of the bill aims to extend funding until January 19th and cover key government services including the military, construction and housing. The second part of the bill would extend funding until February 2nd and include funding for other parts of the government. Trust us, we're working through the process in a way that I think the people will be proud of. This plan is meant to buy Johnson more time to pass individual appropriation bills. So apparently military government housing has already passed. They can send that off to the Senate and the Senate can act. The Senate is just sitting on it. They're not going to bring it up. But if all 12 of the appropriation bills get passed, the House of Representatives can say, hey, we did our job. We followed the 1974 Budget Act. It's now up to the Senate to act on these individual appropriations. And you'll you'll hear the congressmen uh, talk, especially the the. Uh, those who are elected to the House of Representatives, they'll say, appropes. You know, we're working on the appropes. So, you know, that's inside Washington buzzword. Uh, they're referring to appropriations. They're referring to these 12 bills uh, that have to do with 12 different segments of the United States government. Well, a couple other uh, observations here is that at this time, at the time of putting out this particular program, it appears about three or four of the 12 funding appropriation bills uh, have been completed by the House. So, of course, that leaves us with another eight eight or nine, depending on how you count this thing and how many they've actually uh, completed at the time that you listen to this uh, program. Now, two additional bills were about to be released, but then there was disagreement in a committee, so uh, it wasn't advanced. So we could be farther down the road. We were very close to putting out two additional ones, which would have meant that we had five or six out there, but we don't. So, you know, this is this is what uh, a constitutional republic is about. You know, there's conversations, there's disagreements, and uh, the way it works is it has to come out of committee. You're going to need a, uh, uh, a majority vote in the committee according to House rules, and then it goes to the House of Representatives for a full vote. Uh, and if passed uh, with a majority vote in the House, then it can go on to the U.S. Senate. Well, uh, what is this laddered approach uh, that Speaker Mike Johnson uh, is talking about? I think uh, this is a, a brilliant idea uh, because, in short, uh, we don't really know how this is going to play out. Uh, but the theory behind a laddered approach is that they are going to put out these funding bills as quickly as they can. They're going to extend uh, funding using a continuing resolution for those portions of the government that have not been funded yet uh, and that uh, there is no bill that is pending. And basically what this does is it's working in the direction of fulfilling uh, the obligations outlined in the 1974 Budget Act. We're, we're trying to get to that. We're trying to catch up. And of course, Mike Johnson has to play serious catch up uh, because uh, 
he was left holding the bag. Uh, Kevin McCarthy just did not do his job. Uh, if there's any disagreement, again, between the House and the Senate, there would then be conference uh, between the leaders of those two uh, bodies uh, before the bill advances to the president. Now, Speaker Mike Johnson is pushing hard uh, to avoid a year-end uh, pork bill, uh, what, uh, again, what Rush Limbaugh used to call porkulous bill. He doesn't want one big, huge bill that's over a thousand pages, maybe 1500 pages, uh, which they get, who knows, you know, midnight, uh, 1 a.m. on December the 23rd, everybody's tired. And then they got to vote for this thing, up or down vote the morning of the 24th of December so that they can all uh, get on an airplane and, and go home for the holidays. And this has been the strategy for a number of years in order to uh, get this uh, ridiculous uh, pork bill passed year after year. And this is exactly what Mike Johnson wants to avoid. Johnson can't roll back the calendar a year. So he's thinking out of the box. I like that. It's creative, out of the box thinking. Well, moving on to our next piece, it's uh, Chair Ronna McDaniel. And she is the chair of the uh, uh, RNC Republican National Committee, and she's responding to calls for her resignation. Now, the 2023 results uh, from the elections that happened on November the 7th, they were not uh, particularly well-received around the country in Virginia and in other states, and now they want her to resign. But let's take a listen to this. Now, this is an interesting uh, cut. This was a conversation that took place between Ronald McDaniels and also Laura Ingram, and I think it's got value. Now, Ingram came on pretty strong in the beginning saying, hey, uh, they're calling for your resignation. What are you going to do? And she wasted about half of her time for the interview uh, going on and on about, you know, well, we put forth great uh, issues and values, and this is what we do. And then it gets to the middle of the interview and says, uh... Laura Ingram says, uh, you know, you've run out of time. You're burning the uh, candle here. These people know how much time. When they go on Fox News or any outlet, they know, okay, you've got three minutes or you've got four minutes or whatever it is. You're never going to have 10 minutes. So they know how much time they have. And she had this plan. Ronna McDaniels had this plan. She was going to burn up time talking about something else and not addressing the issue. So now you see, we pick it up in the part of the interview, you see where uh, Laura Ingram takes Ronna McDaniels to task and says, hey, you know, you're going to answer the question because you're kind of burning up your time here. And, and uh, let's uh, pick it up right there. Uh, let's listen to this. This is uh, from Fox News, November the 10th, 2023. It's a minute 17. Let's listen to this. This is cut number two. Getting there. I'm not trying okay. to avoid anything. All Let right. me promise you that, Laura. Listen, when when Vivek didn't vote in 2016, I was leading Michigan to the first win in history in 30 years. In 2018, we defied the odds. We got three senators, people like Josh Hawley, that allowed President Trump to build the largest conservative majority on the Supreme Court. In 2022, the RNC, which is a yeah. turnout machine, right? We're not the messengers. We don't create the messages for the campaigns. Those are the consultants who get very well paid. Well, one of the things, they, Arana, that happened. Okay, I got to cut in there. Those are the consultants that get very well paid. 
This is a part of the Washington machine, and really part of the political machine, is that there are a group of consultants, basically, they, they feed off the trough. That, and the trough has to do with the donations that come in for candidates. And they charge big bucks in order to give their advice to candidates. And quite often, they don't give the best advice, but this is this is what happens. So she's saying, well, you know, uh, you know, the RNC doesn't control the messaging. Uh, well, that's the consultants. You know, they're very well paid to give uh, great advice out there, uh, which they don't always do quite often. Let's continue with the piece. I just, I, look, I had to jump in there uh, and talk about consultants. Okay, let's continue with the piece. I think in Virginia, people were wondering where the money was, whether they were going to get some help from the RNC. And I, I know it, at one point you said that, that you were not asked for money in Virginia, but a source, a Republican source familiar with the Youngkin team in Virginia told the angle late tonight that that is false. And well, there, just, meaning your story keeps changing. Anyone who thinks Virginia Republicans wouldn't want help when we knew we'd be outspent isn't being serious. You know, Rana, well, they were Laura, outspent by $8 million. This. Glenn Youngkin and, and it did a phenomenal job and he raised a lot of money. A lot of people don't understand fundraising. I can't raise state dollars. I don't get unlimited convention and, yeah. and state dollars. Uh, and these were state House and state Senate races. The RNC is a federal it. committee. So, I mean, come on. Well, she is correct about that. Those were state house and they were state senate races. And Youngkin was not up for re-election in this uh, particular election. So, okay, you know, it's a nuanced answer. But the point is, uh, Republicans should be able to have a conversation if they're not satisfied with the RNC and the leadership at the RNC, the niece of Mitt Romney, Rana McDaniel, well, then they should be able to replace her. It's not just what Rana McDaniel says that bothers me. It's what she does not say. She does not stand up for the J6 prisoners held in Washington, D.C. I've never heard her go into any lengthy defense of the J6 prisoners and mention that this is nothing more than banana republic politics, the persecution of the people that surrounded President Trump in order to make the Trump supporters look bad. She doesn't, she doesn't talk about that. She doesn't back Trump in general. She wants Trump to sign a document that will back the other candidates if he loses the primary. And this was one of the things that uh, was required for him to come on stage and have uh, and participate in the Republican primary debates, which is ridiculous. He doesn't need it. He's so far out ahead, 30, 40 points ahead, 50 in some polls, ahead of the challengers. It, he doesn't need to go there. And it's the right choice. But regardless, she wanted him to sign a document that says, well, if one of the others beat you in the Republican primary, then you need to commit to supporting them. He said, I'm not going to do that. McDaniel does not speak out against the election interference in general. 
all the election interference that's occurring against Trump, the lawfare, the ridiculous trial in New York about land valuation, where there is no victim. You're talking about loans that were paid off. The banks are happy. You have to have an injured party in order to have a case. There is no injured party. McDaniel seems to prefer a loser over a proven winner. You know, one of the so-called challengers. McDaniel is weak on messaging. She doesn't even have a counter-argument for Democrats who are pushing abortion as a wedge issue. And that was a big issue for the recent election on November the 7th. And the RNC was just kind of asleep on that one. Didn't really offer much. I mean, look, she can put out a press release. She can get in front of the cameras. She can push back. She can talk about, look, all you got to do is show the video. I saw the video. America's seen the video. On the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned by the United States Supreme Court, who is rejoicing in front of the judicial building where the Supreme Court is? Women. And these were young women. Women who weren't even born when the Roe v. Wade decision came out. How about interviewing those young women? Why were you rejoicing? How about talking about them and giving them the microphone? giving them the podium and letting them speak to America. Ronald McDaniel couldn't even figure that one out. Look, you can't be playing defense against the Democrats. The Democrats are always throwing flaming arrows, darts, what you know, whatever metaphor you want to use. You can't constantly be on your back foot and being defense against these people. You have to go on the offense. Ronald McDaniel doesn't know how to do that very effectively. Politics is about going on the offense and putting your best foot forward. You can add your voice to the conversation that stands for liberty and the freedoms that America holds so dearly. Join us on social media on both Getter, that's G-E-T-T-R, and True Social. Just search for at Jeffrey K. Lions. That's Lions with a Y. And I do enjoy receiving your feedback and reading some of your comments on the air. Again, search for at Jeffrey K. Lions, Getter and True Social. And when you listen to us on your favorite podcasting app, please five-star rate, follow and send our podcast uh, to a few like-minded friends. Look, if if you're not driving the car, if if you're in a place where you can just stop and pause, uh, would you please just share this program with one other person? One other person, if you like what you're hearing today. And that's how we continue to expand the Narrative Wars Posse. You are the reason why we do this program. And now, let's continue. All right, moving on to our final piece. Uh, this is Netanyahu, and he's responding to students uh, who are protesting uh, on behalf of Hamas. 
And uh, so let's listen to what he has to say. Uh, this is NBC News, uh, November the 12th, 2023. Uh, it's a minute 50. Uh, let's take a listen to this. And it's cut uh, number three. Deaths in Gaza. Can you win this war without global support? We will win this war because we have no other choice. There's no life for us. There's no future for us and our neighbors if we allow the axis of terror led by Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, and their minions to dominate. We have an alliance for peace on the other side. It includes Israel, the United States, the moderate Arab states, and the rest of the civilized world. Now, it's a question, who wins? We have to win. There's confusion in many parts of the uh, of the world. I have to say, not in the United States. I'm glad to see that the the majority of the American people support Israel. They understand that we're fighting the just battle of civilization against barbarism. But those who, uh, those who protest for Hamas, you're protesting for sheer evil. There are a lot of misguided people out there who don't, don't know the facts. You're talking to people who deliberately targeted civilians, who raped and murdered women, who raped, uh, uh, who, who beheaded uh, men, who burnt babies alive, who kidnapped uh, little babies and hostage and, uh, and Holocaust survivors, you name it. These are the people that you are supporting. Now, you cannot, it's like in World War II, yeah. the Allies are fighting the Nazis, okay? Chancellor Kohl of Germany said that Hamas are the new Nazis. So imagine now, the Allies are fighting the Nazis. They've invaded France after they were attacked by the Nazis. They uh, they go yeah. into the cities of Germany. They're obviously, the Nazis are fighting within civilian quarters, and civilians get killed. In fact, many of them were killed. Millions were killed. And, now, but, who do you protest against? Well, do you and, protest against the Nazis, or do you protest... Uh, against the allies. And what these people are doing is protesting for sheer evil. That's wrong. By the way, it's a condemnation. It's an indictment of higher education in some of our universities. So I love it when I listen to these interviews. Uh, Again, this was on NBC News, uh, November the 12th, 2023. And you notice that the uh, person doing uh, the interview was just kept going, "Uh, uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, well, 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 but every time he starts scoring points, she tries to inter- interrupt. She tries to interject the narrative. Uh, and the narrative is Hamas, not so bad. Israel, yeah, really bad because they are, Israel is the, the big, bad, strong wolf and they're wiping out Hamas. But in the midst of this, uh, there's far too many citizens that are innocent that are dying. And he, and he makes the point, look, when the United States went into France and they liberated France from the Nazis, yes, a lot of Nazis had to be killed to get the Nazis out of France. Okay, we all understand that. Unfortunately... The terrible reality of that is that there were French people that died also in the, in the crossfire. Nobody wants that to happen. Nobody's saying they want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. Nobody wants innocent people in the Gaza area, women and children, uh, to be killed in the crossfire. And that's why Israel is allowing these four-hour windows of time in order to move people out of northern Gaza. That's why Israel dropped thousands, tens of thousands of leaflets, 
maybe up to 100,000 all over northern Gaza that said, hey, we're coming, please evacuate in order to not be injured, get out of northern Gaza. And they told them to go south of the river, which separates Gaza more or less in half. And we are hearing all kinds of stories that Hamas was blocking civilians from moving across to southern Gaza. So there are many stories here. We know for a fact that Hamas uses civilians as human shields. There are many confirmed stories that Hamas puts their operating bases, their command centrals, in numerous locations, but one of those locations is underneath hospitals. So it's a, it's not a new tactic for Hamas to use human beings as shields to hide behind citizens of Gaza in order to, when citizens get killed, you know, it's more body count, body count propaganda. Here's the point. The point is, it's a propaganda war. And we've been talking about this for weeks, ever since this whole conflict erupted. Go back to October 7th. We said it's going to be a narrative war, and it is, and it continues to be. Well, a final uh, couple of points here is that uh, really this whole thing is expanding into now a multi-front war. Uh, Hezbollah, uh, which is in Lebanon, is now lobbing missiles into Israel. This is from the Times of Israel, November the 12th, 2023. Hezbollah missile attack. A number of vehicles near the northern community of Dovev, close to the border. That's the border between Israel and Lebanon. And Lebanon, by the way, was one of the last few Christian nations in the Middle East. A number of you probably didn't know that, but if you go back 40, 50 years, indeed it was, there were a lot of Christians in that nation. They've been driven out. They have become exiles from their nation. Some of the victims, the article continues, were Israel Electric Corporation employees who were repairing power lines uh, when this area was attacked. The IDF, that's the Israeli uh, Defense Forces, said it struck the Hezbollah cell behind the attack uh, against civilians uh, in Israel and hit several Hezbollah sites in southern Lebanon. So it's begun, folks. They're lobbing missiles and rockets back and forth between Lebanon. Given time, it may, it may develop and there may be more uh, conflicts on this so-called West Bank, which is on the eastern side of Israel. So we will continue to follow that. But is it is rapidly escalating into a multi-front war. And now we turn to our final segment, which we call The Bigger Picture. It's that portion of our program where we look at a lighter side of news or popular culture. Well, today we're going to ask that question. Do you remember the year 2007? Well, that was the year that everything changed in terms of 
handheld connectivity. Uh, prior to 2007, uh, it was the Canadian-based company BlackBerry uh, that seemed to rule the day. Even President Obama had a BlackBerry. But in 2007, everything changed with the release of the Apple iPhone. And the Google Android smartphone, uh, it was released uh, rather quickly after that in 2008 on the T-Mobile platform. That leads me to this challenge. Are any of you willing to not use your cell phone for one day? Just pick any day. I understand. Look, if you're a working adult, it's got to be on an off work day because you need it for work. You know, I get that. Um, you know, but maybe a Saturday, a Sunday, or a day you're on vacation, you know, just unplug the phone for a day or just do a modified challenge. Don't look at the internet. Don't look at any apps and only use your phone for emergency purposes, you know? So look, you can work it out. What I'm trying to say is pick a day where you minimize the use of your phone. Consider that all of humanity prior to 2007 had no handheld smartphones, and yet mankind survived. How is that even possible? There was no Facebook, no Instagram, no Twitter, no you fill in the blank. What did people do? What was it like? Today, there are millions of Americans that remember life prior to 2007, but as our population ages, there'll be more and more Americans who have no recollection at all of a pre-handheld device America, that thought is absolutely absurd and terrifying for some. Well, this month, I'm going to take up the challenge. Uh, one day this month, probably on a Sunday, that's when things wind down for me. That's just me. I'm going to take up the challenge. I'm going to ditch the handheld device, uh, you know, the phone, the iPad, uh, for one day. And then I'll report back to you, the listening audience, a bit of my experience. If you want to take up the challenge, you can share your experience on Getter. Just go to at Jeffrey K. Lyons on Getter and comment on your experience. Look, again, this full disclaimer here and full disclosure. If you're a young person under 18 and, uh, you know, you're still living uh, with your parents uh, don't do this unless you talk to your parents first. I don't want to get in trouble. You know, bad talk show host. So just talk to your parents first. I understand you need to have your phone for emergency uses. So I'm not telling you to not use it for an emergency use if you need to. Uh, you know, obviously safety is important. But I got to do that full disclosure because I don't want people getting on together and saying bad talk show host. So Okay, full disclosure there. Now, that being said, you know, let's let's see if we can pull this off. Let's see what kind of experience we can have together as a part of the Narrative Wars posse. Uh, the point is that we can choose to do with our time what we want to do with it. That is liberty. And that's a comforting thought. Until next time for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. Hey. So tired.